today, uh, I, I got to tell you, um, Greg Lyons is, is going to be speaking today. He's a missionary that we've been supporting for many years in the Philippines. We actually support also two of his sons uh, that are in the Philippines. And I've known Greg for over 30 years, uh, an amazing man. I mean, he couldn't even tell you in the time he's up here all the things that he's involved with. He's also brought a friend, uh, James uh, Makadongdong. And uh, James is from the Philippines, but he's actually now in Thailand. And so we're going to hear a little bit about how uh, through Greg's missions in the Philippines, they are now sending out missionaries to other places in Asia. It's just amazing stuff. It's a privilege to be here today and a, even a greater privilege to have with, uh, with me a friend of mine, James Makadangdang, who is a cross-cultural missionary from the Philippines going into Thailand. You know, this is an incredible day of, of God's movement around the world, where in years past, decades past, you would send an American missionary uh, to the rest of the world. We would say the West to the rest is what a lot of people would say. But now, because of the partnerships we've shared and what God has done through the years, we have raised up leaders like uh, James and several others that are now leaving the mission field and it is the next wave of missionaries that is engaging the lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you don't often get a chance to meet somebody like James. So I hope that after the service, you stop back. We have a table in the back. Get to know him. And uh, he's an incredible minister of the gospel. And we're going to talk about the churches we're planting in Bangkok, Thailand in a few minutes. God bless you, James. Thanks. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm going to talk to you about the story of David and Goliath. Now, the title of my message is, Go Goliath or Go Home, all right? I mean, you're either going to go for all of it or not go anywhere. And uh, I love this story because it's a story of some great faith that I think we need even in our day of time. Now, as uh, Pastor Kevin has mentioned, I'm a missionary. I live in Metro Manila, Philippines. And uh, James and I were just talking about the weather, the fine weather you have here in northern Ohio. Now, I want you to know we are having a brutal winter in Metro Manila. It's getting down to 74 by now. And so we're bracing ourselves for the coming cold snap that's happening. But uh, both of us uh, did not bring heavy enough jackets, I think, for, for our time here. But we're not going to stay long. We're going to head back to a tropical island. And by the way, you can sign up to be a missionary and join us anytime that you want to. We, we have been church planters, urban church planters in Metro Manila now for many, many years, and uh, we do youth ministry as well and a lot of other things that I'll be talking about. But none of this really would have happened had not God blessed us with this faith that believing that God could do just great things. My mother, who passed away just a couple of years ago, used to tell me, drilled it into my head. She said, Greg, ask God for everything. Just believe that God can do great things. 
And so I think what, the reason, what has happened with, with our ministry is that we just believe that God can do some things. And we refuse to acknowledge that the barriers that are there that are holding back the truth of the gospel will, will, will stop the movement of an almighty God, the same God that was with David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So let me tell you, review the story. How many of you know the story of David and Goliath? Raise your hand. All right. You know, I, I think in, in the United States at least, uh, 90% of the people have heard the story. And so I'm not going to go through and read the whole story to you, but I want you to, to step back in time with me and imagine that you're on the battlefield with David, with the armies of Israel, with King Saul. I mean, smell the dust that's in the air, feel the intensity that it is a life and death situation. I think sometimes as we read scripture, we fail to really move ourselves into the time frame where God is moving and we miss some of what's going on. Now this army that is facing the Philistines, the armies of God, is not just some normal army. This is an army that has an incredible tradition. These are the children of Israel. These are the children of Israel that went to battle and, and over, over generations and saw God do some incredible things. Now remember, it is the same people, the same children of Israel that, that their forefathers crossed the Red Sea and were freed from the slavery of Egypt, which was the superpower of that day. I mean, th no doubt that these stories were rehearsed in the, in the minds of these men who are on the battlefield today of the great hand of God that divided the Red Sea. And not only that, that conquered kings uh, as they traversed in the wilderness, stopped the Jordan River, saw the walls of Jericho fall. And they are faced here on the battlefield with the Philistine army but yet they forget, they seemingly forget that on their side is a living God that can conquer anything. And if I could bring this down to us, sometimes we face a Goliath of a problem in our own life that we really begin to doubt if God can handle that. Have you ever been there? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's a child. You know, I have six children, okay? Uh, I've gone through six teenagers. I've lost my hair over that, you know? Uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, is getting married this Thursday. That's why I'm back in the States. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to cry a lot and hand her off. It's a good guy, but any guy is like a gorilla when it's your daughter, you know. And uh, I'm ready, I'm ready to, to turn her over to him. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I have learned, how many of you have adult children? Raise your hand. Parenting adult children is far more difficult than the younger children. Would you agree with that? Oh, man, I tell you what. And so I am learning more and more about that in my, my season of life right now. And I need to know that the God that was with the children of Israel is the same God that's with me when I fight Goliath-type problems. So here's the, here's the story. They, they go out to this field, and 
you have the, the Israeli army on one side, the Philistine army on the other side, and, and you know, they got the, you know, you've seen it in the movies where they're there and they're getting ready to fight, and out walks this giant of a man, Goliath, nine feet tall, he's huge, he, he's got a huge spear, he's a warrior, and he begins to taunt the armies of Israel. And he says, we don't need to fight army to army. Just send me one man and let me fight him. We don't need to shed all this blood. Send me one man. And whoever wins, the army will be the slave to the victor. And here stands the armies of God. The same armies that came from, from their ancestors who walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, who conquered the, 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 the kings of the wilderness, who, who uh, saw the walls of Jericho fall, and they stand there cowering in fear. I think we need a lesson from David in our day and age. When we think that time, life is too difficult to win and that we're not going to do it, he has some faith. David displays some faith that is uncommon to anybody in the thousands of men that were in that army. And I want to share that with you, four simple things about the faith of David. First, see opportunity when others see danger. I mean, here we have, if you look in verses 24 to 26 of 1 Samuel uh, 17, and, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Amen to that. And verse 26, then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And this is what he says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David, when he saw Goliath, did not cower in fear. He remembered the incredible power of God. He said he's nothing. Our God is everything. And I believe we need a little taste of that in our lives today. Sometimes we think about the problems that we have, even the, the trouble that is going on around the world, and we wonder if there is a solution. And I'm here to tell you the solution is the same as it has been throughout the entire scripture. It is the presence of God in our life that, will be, that is walking with us, that will guide us, and that will give us victory. Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1 says, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more than, more than you, be not afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, and he's the same God that brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. In our ministry, we have uh, approached ministry this way. I remember uh, I spoke here several years ago about our camp ministry. Our main church that we planted is next to a very large high school. It uh, at one time was the largest high school on the planet, the Rizal High School, 42,000 teenagers in one high school, if you can imagine that. Now, that's just a bunch of hormonally imbalanced people all in one place, okay? 
full of gangs, drugs, all kinds of problems. In fact, James's wife is a graduate of that high school and was one to the Lord through our ministry. And we, we just felt like God wanted us to, to work on this high school and to reach, there was no ministry targeting this high school. Honestly, I don't believe God is up in heaven surprised that there's a big high school, you know. And uh, that God maybe designed everything for us to be there. And we tried to reach these kids. And there was a group of kids that we could never get to come to, to hear the message, to come to church. These were the gang kids, the, the, the alcoholic kids, the drug-addicted kids, the uh, alternative lifestyle kids. The kind of kids that you invite to church and they just kind of sneer at you, kind of laugh at you. No, it's not for me. Those kids. And I just had a passion to reach these kids. And so we started a camp. We started a, a camp that was not for Christians that was for lost kids, camp that was so much fun that even if a, if a lost kid came and did not turn to Jesus, that he would want to come back. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story. We don't have a whole lot of time, but we started with about 176 kids. Uh, and uh, this has been now 20 years ago when we started the first camp, had 79 kids saved out of that first group of kids. We had uh, 80% of the kids that came to that first camp were lost kids. And we began to learn a secret that if you want to have a lot of people saved, you have to have a lot of unsaved people there. Now, I know that's difficult for some people, but we, 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 we embrace that. And so we began to reach into the lost community, and it caused us to stretch and do things and, and adjust our ministry so that we could reach into this crowd. But God has scaled this ministry for 20 years up until we have, uh, uh, in 2017, we brought our one millionth young person to, the, to hear the gospel at the camps in Metro Manila. Now that may sound impressive, but if I were to put this in context, we live in a city of Metro Manila with 22 million people where approximately 5.5 to 6 million of those uh, residents of that great city are between the ages of 13 and 25. And if you track that out over the past 20 years, we're talking about, about a total of 20 million people that have gone through the ranks of those ages, and we only took 1 million young people to camp. Last year, we took 128,000 kids to camp, but we left 4 million behind. So to us, it's not impressive. What's impressive is the number of lost young people that we still need to reach. When we reached into this community, we started after the gang kids. And uh, Now, I tell you what, when you have a bunch of gang kids at a camp, it can be an interesting camp. We had all kinds of things that happened. We had a riot during one of the services, literally. We didn't realize it. I, was, I remember uh, I, was, I was at the bus. I love to be at the bus when the kids go to camp. And so I'm there early at the buses, and, and they're loading up. And this one group of guys, they're gang guys. They come in. They had their little, you know, their little swagger. They had the hat turned the right way and the right color and the pants at the right level. And they had all these kind of things that they were doing, you know. And I was just high-fiving them, bumping them, doing whatever you got to do to get them on the bus. They went on the bus. I was thrilled. I thought, man, they're going to hear about Jesus this week. It's incredible. And then another group of guys came. And their hat, I didn't notice it, but were turned the other way, different kind of color, different level of pants, you know, uh, and everything. And, and I said, man, they got on the bus, and, 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 and after two or three of them got on the bus, they got back off of the bus, and I said, what, what's going on? They said, we can't ride this bus. We, that's, that's our opposing gang. We hate those guys. I said, no problem. got another bus. So I, I brought them over, put them on another bus, you know. And uh, then after they left, I thought, hmm, they're all going to the same camp, you know. 
uh, called the camp, hey, listen, we got this going on. And, and so they met the leaders and they do it. But sure enough, in the middle of the thing, one guy looked at the other guy's girlfriend long and a chair got picked up and thrown across the aisle during the blackout and a fight ensued. And we had, you know, uh, we had a thousand kids in the room. And when the riot occurred, everybody started running. And uh, we, I started running in, you know, and trying to help stop. I'm not, I don't do karate. I'm not a good person, but I could fall on somebody and stop them from doing what they're not supposed to be doing. It's an interesting camp. Most people wouldn't even deal with these kind of young people. But as I look at them, I see them as incredible opportunity. Just like David did when David saw Goliath and he was not intimidated. And when the, when the enormity of the, of the problem was presented, then, then that's when God really shows up. And I challenge you that when you're facing the most difficult time in your life, understand that God still has a plan if you would see opportunity when others see danger. Last year, we celebrated baptizing our 100,000th young person that came to camp uh, in the Philippines who have chosen to follow God and, and to follow Jesus Christ. See opportunity when, when others uh, see danger. I want to tell you another story. A few years back, a friend of mine, are we online, by the way? We are. Okay. Uh, so I'm just going to measure what I say. But uh, uh, a few years back, we were invited to uh, Pakistan to do camps. And I remember uh, uh, when the guy came to talk to me and said, hey, would you come to Pakistan and, and, do, and do camps? And I, I looked at him and I said, no. And he goes, uh, well, why? I said, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to work over there. I mean, uh, we're not the same, not same young people as here in Metro Manila. He says, oh, yeah, you ought to come. And I said, no. He said, and finally he says, you're afraid. I said, I am not afraid. Is it safe over there? You know, I mean, he says, why do you ask me that question? I said, well, I got to tell my wife something. I mean, you don't just wake up one day and say, hey, honey, I'm going, going to Pakistan. You know, uh, he says, well, let me ask you a question. I said, okay, shoot. He says, uh, he says are you in God's will? Now, come on. That's like the nuclear question. What are you going to say? No, I'm blatantly out of God's will. I mean, I said, of course I'm in God's will. He says, then why don't you stop being afraid and why don't you pray about it? Has anybody ever had somebody say to them something like that? Don't you just want to like, what in the world are you saying, you know? Uh, so I did pray about it. The truth is I didn't need to pray about it. God opened a door. We should have just gone through it. And so for the past 11 years, we have gone every year with a team in to do evangelistic camps in that country. I just came back from it, just our team just returned uh, two weeks ago where we shared the gospel with over 5,000 young people in northern Pakistan and had over 1,100 of them make decisions for Jesus Christ. Others, you have to see opportunity when others see danger. Secondly, trust God's reputation, not my own ability. So David tells the, 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 the guys, hey, who, who, why are we afraid of this guy? Why is he defying the armies of the living God? And, and ultimately, the word gets to King Saul. David gets called in, and a conversation occurs. And when, da when Saul sees David, he says to David, he says, you can't. You're just a young teenager. You can't fight against this Goliath. This guy has been a man of war for years. Look in verse, uh, verses 32 to 37 and listen to what David says to Saul. 
Then David said to Saul, verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul this, he says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Now, wait a minute. Wait, don't, don't lose. Do you catch what he's saying? A lion and a bear come and take one of his sheep. He runs after the lion and the bear, hits the, the animal the beast, and takes the lamb out of its mouth. Now, that's far more manly than going deer hunting, I'm telling you, you know. And then what does he say? After he takes the lamb out of the mouth, when the lion growls at him, puts the lamb down, goes over, grabs the lion by its beard, and kills him. That's incredible. And David says this. He says in, ver in verse 37, moreover, or excuse me, verse, yeah, verse, 30, verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David was not resting on his ability. He was resting on God's reputation. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Has God ever failed you? Has he ever failed you? Has he ever failed anybody you know? If God has never failed you, never failed anybody you know, then why would we approach the problem that we're facing with fear? Why not approach it like David approached it, knowing that God has it? I mentioned that we went to Pakistan. Let me tell you a quick story about how that happened. So there was five of us that were going, and we went to apply uh, for a visa to get into the country. And, and uh, the, the pastor there, uh, Pastor Irfan, sent me a letter inviting Dr. Greg Lyons to do evangelistic uh, meetings in Pakistan. And... Uh, the Bible Baptist Church was inviting him, and he sends me this letter. He says, take this down to the embassy. And I said, I can't take this down to the embassy. They're not going to let me in with a visa with that. And he said, we're not hiding anything we're doing. You just take that down to the embassy and tell them. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking, as I'm going to the embassy, thinking, this is dead on arrival. I mean, I'm, nothing's going to happen. So I show up. I'm at the embassy, and I, I'm sitting across from the consul, uh, Mr. Farouk, and, and he's talking to me, and he's looking at the letter, and he's looking at me, and he says, so, Mr. Lyons, just let me understand. You want to do what in my country? And I said, sir, that's your citizen. I'm just the guest, you know. I mean, there's numbers there. Give him a call. And he says, wow. He says, I don't know. I don't know if we can... I don't know if we can do this. And I said, well, I said, would you think about it? And he said, yes, I'll think about it. And I, and I walked out, and I and another gentleman that was with me walked out, and I said to, to JR, the other guy that was with me going on the team, I said, I guess we're not going, and we went out. Well, they kept asking for more information, more documentation. You know, weeks, weeks went by, and uh, uh, 
you know, they, we, we thought it's, we're just not going to end up going, we're not going to get the visas. Well, I got a call from our secretary in, in Manila and said, hey, uh, Pastor Greg, we, somebody needs to take these passports back down to the Pakistan embassy because they want to see them one more time. It may be the last effort, but maybe you can go and do this. And I said, yeah, everybody else is busy. Now, when we're saying taking it down across Metro Manila, it's not like going to Bob Evans here in Fremont. Okay, Manila is 22 million people. The traffic just going from our office to, the, to where the embassy was was a two-hour one-way drive through traffic. And so I was the only one available. I get the, get the passports, and I jump in the car and make my trek across there. It's about 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. I get there, and I'm standing there in, the, in this high-rise building near the elevators, just me in the lobby waiting for the elevator. And as I'm standing there, an SUV pulls up to the back door. Uh, a couple of guys get out in suits. Another guy gets out, and he walks over, and he's standing right beside me. And he's a tall guy. He's got a suit on, and he looks, you know, uh, looks foreign. And so we get on the elevator, and he pushes uh, uh, a number. He says, what number? And I says, the, the, the eighth floor. He says, well, that's the Pakistan embassy. And I said, yes. He says, I, I, he says now that we have the whole floor. So there's nothing else there. Is that, is that where you're going? And I said, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to, that, to the Pakistan embassy. And I, I said, uh, he said, why do you, uh, what, what, what are you doing there? Do you have business there? I says, I, I don't know if I have business there until I get there. I haven't got my visa yet. And I looked at the guy and I said, well, do you work there? He says, yeah, I'm the ambassador. I did a flare prayer. Do you know what a flare prayer is? You don't have time to look spiritual. You just breathe a prayer to God, you know. And my prayer was, God, slow the elevator down, you know. Uh, and so I said, well, yeah. I said, I need to talk to you. I said, because we're trying to get visas to go visit uh, Pakistan. And he says, oh. And uh, he, he asked me again about business. And I said, well, I, you know, I have to go see some friends. And, and uh, he says, well, what are you, you going to do over there? I said, well, we've got some youth programs that we're going to do. He says, oh. You are the five guys that want to go over to do that, that uh, youth thing. And I said, yes. And he says, well, I don't know. I said, sir, we're not going to disrupt anything. We're just going to help the moral values of the youth in your country. We'll be a benefit to your country if you give us a chance to go. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know. He says, but I will do this. I will look at the paperwork one more time. And I said, fine. We got there, I gave my passport to the, to the secretary, thanked him for his, the, the good conversation we had. You know what happened? The next day, five visas stamped that says missionary work in there to go to Pakistan. Can I tell you what? You can trust God's reputation. He does incredible things. He can allow meetings that can occur that you never thought of. He can bring you in the right orbit of people. He can bring the right business around to you. He can take care of your needs. He can have influences on your children that you don't even know are there that are positive, going to draw them to God if you simply trust God's reputation. Thirdly, use what God has given me now. David, in verses 38 to 40 well, he's having the conversation with Saul. Saul says to David, okay, if you're going to go fight him, he said, then I want you to use my armor. And he gives David his armor. And David had never worn an armor. And he puts it on. And he starts walking around. And he takes it off. And he says, I can't use these. He says, I can't use this armor. I've not tried it. I've not tested it. It's worthless to me. 
and he turns it back to King Saul. And then the story is, if you read in verses 38 to 40, that David goes to the brook, and you know it well, and he picks out five stones, and he puts it in his shepherd's pouch, and he takes his staff and his sling and the pouch around him, and he goes to fight the giant. He had all the weapons he needed to do God's work. Sometimes I think in our lives, we find ourselves saying that if I had this, I would do more for God. If I had a little better job, I'd give more to God. If I didn't have such a demanding job, I'd serve more. If, I, if, if, if my family was in better shape, I would do more. And we come up with all of these excuses in our life where we limit what God wants to do with us, not because of God's power, because of our limiting view of what God can do. I'm here to tell you that God has given you everything you need to accomplish everything he wants you to do. You have it all. You just need to see it for what it is. You just need to see that you have the stones that can take down a giant if you would just embrace it. Let me talk to you a minute about Thailand. Uh, I, f I met a friend years ago, a businessman in Thailand named Rayong, and uh, we began to talk about the movement of the gospel in Thailand. And uh, through the years, we've, we've, we've just nurtured this friendship. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I was in Thailand, and I called him up. We were going to have dinner. And uh, he comes to pick me up for dinner, and we go out. And, he's, and, and before we go to dinner, he says, Greg, I've got something I want to show you. And I said, okay. So he drives me over to this sports center, a million-dollar operation. I mean, it's got three soccer fields under roof, fully lit, two NBA-level basketball courts, ancillary rooms, a coffee shop, everything. And, uh, and I'm looking around there, and I'm, it's impressive. And, I'm, and so finally I, get, I say, Rayong, I said, Rayong, I said, nice. You know, I'm glad your friend, is, it was his business associate who built this, this pay-to-play operation. And uh, I said, I think it's nice, but Rayong, I don't live in Bangkok. I'm not buying into your, you know, your sports center. You know? He says, well, you're missing everything I'm trying to show you. I said, okay, well, you know, help me out. And he walks me over to a room, uh, a function room, and he says, I want you to see this room. And I said, okay, well, what is this? He says, this is the worship room. I said, what do you mean? He says, my friend who, who went to business, I, when I was mentoring him and, and, and discipling him, and he was building these things, I, I encouraged him to build a worship room so that we could plant a church in every one of his sports centers in Thailand. I said, how many of these do you have? He says, eight. I said, how many churches do you have? He says, one. I says, how come you don't have any churches in the other, other, other uh, places? He says, you're the only church planter I know. I was waiting for you to come to Thailand to show you this. And so we made a quick video right then on the spot of, of, the, of the sports center and Rayong and me and my conversation. And uh, to give you kind of an idea of what we're talking about. And so we have the video loaded. Let's play that Thai video right now. Hi, I'm here with my friend Rayong Kitapol, and we are in Bangkok, Thailand, and we are here at a sports center owned by a Christian man 
who has a vision to put a church in every one of his sports centers across Bangkok and Lord willing, all throughout Thailand. Rayong, what would happen if people would see the vision here of planting a church in one of these sports centers here in Thailand? This is a great opportunity. That's a great, <clears throat> it's not by chance that God put us, you and I, and a Christian businessman, together at this place, sports center. It's, a, it's in the middle of the community that you can do so many outreach, you can do so many interactive programs. You can do something live, something giving to the community for the sport. What kind of population is around this area? More than four, five hundred thousand people in this area. Imagine every sports center that, uh, if we set it up, will be a place of worship. Oh, wow. A place to serve the community. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful, yeah. We're praying that yeah. God will call more pastors, yes. even missionaries, to come and yeah. reach the community in each of these sports centers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please send us some missionary from Philippines uh, come partnership with us in terms of helping us in sport outreach or any other area that we're not good at. Partnership with us, train us and teach us to reach out throughout Thailand and the community. Start with using this sports center. Please pray for Thailand and what the work that God is leading Rayong and Global Surge in doing. Thank you. In Thailand, we call Kop Kun Kap. Thank you very much. <laughs> what an opportunity. I mean, you don't have to go and build the church. The church is already built there. All you have to do is fill it up and get the missionaries. And so I've been on a mission to find missionaries that will go to Thailand and be part of this church planting movement there. Eight church plants. And James Makadangdang is leading the team there. We now have a dozen missionaries from the Philippines. We have two, uh, one couple from the United States. And because we couldn't find enough people in the United States to surrender and go with us, we looked to, uh, to Nairobi, Kenya. And we have two couples that are coming from Nairobi, Kenya to join the Philippine team in Bangkok, Thailand to launch these eight churches. Isn't that incredible? God is doing something. Now, I don't know what you know about Thailand. Do you have any idea how many believers are in Thailand? According to recent statistics, 0.27% of the population is evangelical Christian. Nine, nearly 99.7% of the entire population is Buddhist. And that's after a hundred years of missionary work in Thailand. And so you could say, wow, it must be tough in Thailand. And I'm going to tell you, it is. It is. But you could also say this. There are so many lost people in Bangkok, Thailand, that by accident, we ought to win some to the Lord, you know. And the fact that God, through his divine sovereign hand, has lifted up a businessman that has built a sports center. I mean, I've walked around your church. You guys have a gym, you have a coffee shop. You have, you have, I mean, they've already built it. We didn't have to spend any money. We just have to go 
and plant the church. I believe that God has a remnant around each one of these sports locations of people that he has prepared to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all we have to do is get the gospel to them. I'm excited about it. God has some great plans. And by the way, it even gets better. It's not just a, the owner of this company is going on the Thai Stock Exchange in 2020. They're going to go public, and his vision is to build one of his sports centers in every one of the 70 cities of Thailand and a church in every one of his sports centers. Isn't God good? I mean, wow. So we don't have to go and pray for stuff like that because God has already provided it. Use what God has given me now. I'm here to tell you that God is moving in great ways here and around the world. And I'm here to tell you that it's time for you and I to get more engaged, more involved, more part of what God is doing around the world. We need to see opportunity when others see danger. We need to trust God's reputation, not my own ability. And we need to use what God has given me now. And finally, we have to keep moving when the battle is hot. If you read the rest of the story, we don't have time to read it all, verses 43 to 50, you will find that when Goliath sneers at David and challenges him and causes him, makes fun of him, that the Bible says that David quickly went to face Goliath. When the battle gets hot, that's when you need to start moving. So what are you going to do with the message today? Well, maybe you didn't know there was a, a guest speaker today. And maybe you came and you, you said, wow, uh, wow, missionary, wow, stories, wow. You know, and you could say, bad day to go to church, you know. Uh, didn't know he was going to be there. Or maybe you could look at it differently. Maybe you could say, God has something for me to learn today. God wants to change the way I look at the world. Maybe God wants you to change the way you look at Thailand. I mean, if this group of people were in Thailand, there may be one or two in this room that would be believers. And the rest of you would be in darkness unless somebody would come and share the gospel with you. Unless somebody would have the faith like David did to approach a Goliath of a need with the power of a living God to bring change to people's lives. Your choice today is you can make a dent or you could make a difference. You could decide today to reorder how you give, reorder how you pray, or maybe there would be somebody in this room who would reorder your life and change paths and come do what we do, what James and I do in planting churches in places that are in desperate need of the gospel. Would you bow our heads for just a minute? I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know that God has a plan. And I do know that this moment is a sovereign moment, a moment that God wants you to look at your life. 
Maybe during the message, a problem, a Goliath of a problem has been rolling around in your mind. And maybe you need the faith of David. If you're here today and you would say, Greg, I need that kind of faith. I'm facing a Goliath of a problem. I need the faith that David had in a living God today. If that's your situation today, as I pray to close the message, I want to remember you in prayer. If you're facing a Goliath of a problem and you need to know, have the faith of David, would you just raise your hand and let me remember you in prayer? Yes, there are several. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for your openness to that. Let me ask another question. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the God of David. Maybe you're new. Maybe you're a visitor. Well, there is hope for your life through Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know what that means, and you don't know about a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then I invite you to approach somebody, approach me, approach one of the pastors, approach one of the members of this church and say, I want, I need that information. And then maybe God has it on your heart to be a part of what God is doing in Thailand. And if God is speaking to you, then please speak to us. Please respond. Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this church and what you are doing here through grace. I thank you for the celebrating of the many that were followed you in baptism recently. And Lord, we ask for more. I pray for, for, for grace that it continues to reach its community. But not only that, I pray that grace would reach more and more of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for everyone who raised their hands and said they are facing a Goliath of a problem. And I ask you, Lord, to show yourself strong on their behalf. I ask you that you would enable them to have the faith that David had when he faced Goliath. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.